Hello and welcome to another episode of Happy Homes, the podcast where we focus on how your home feels. This week, I'm really excited to be joined by two design doyens of Instagram, Paula Sutton of Hill House Vintage and Shade Akinsanya, architectural designer at Resi. Shade, Paula, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for asking us. <laughs> You're welcome. Lovely to talk to you today. So, Paula, we are living in extraordinary times and people's attitudes to their homes are shifting. I've been wondering, what do you think has been the most surprising thing about how COVID has affected how people think about home? I think one of the most surprising things, actually, is how much people have embraced being at home. I think um, a lot of people felt they'd go kicking and screaming, being sort of enforced to be within their sort of four walls and maybe their garden or their terrace or their balcony. But I think people have really, after the initial shock, people have really embraced and started to enjoy it. And I think um, people have realised that, you know, it means more to them than just the base, which is which is lovely. I mean, there's lots of us who feel that anyway. But I remember when I was um, living in the, the city and I was working nine to six every day, home was almost just a base somewhere just to sort of lay your head in between working. But I think people have sort of like turned it around a lot now. Yeah, really interesting. Shade, what do you think about that? Um, I agree. I think for, for example, like, I mean, obviously I'm working from home at the moment. The office is kind of partially open, but I'm kind of in and out. Um, So for me, with COVID, it feels a bit like, I guess, whilst I'm working at home, what I've realised is that I really cherish or I did cherish kind of the distinction between work and home. And I liked being able to come home and having my room or just the home as kind of like a sanctuary. So for me, working from home and working kind of in my sanctuary, kind of throwing things out a little bit. So it kind of feels a little bit just off balance. So I agree. I think people are realising that your home is kind of more than just a base it's somewhere that you you do lay your head, but it is a place that kind of, it brings you joy. It should be a space, or it should be a space that brings you joy and you kind of wake up in and feel good to wake up in. Yeah, absolutely. So Shade, as an architectural designer, you're on the front line in a way, listening to clients' needs about what new or different things they want in recent months. How have what they asked for changed? Yes, so it definitely has changed. So <laughs> what we're realising, um, and I guess it's something I've realised myself, is that a lot of people are asking for home offices. It can be as small as possible but anywhere that is completely separate from their kind of bedrooms or their living rooms they just everyone kind of feels like they need a separate space to kind of put up almost like boundaries between work and life and I think it's something that I I definitely agree with so I've actually been asking clients on the phone as well when we've been doing briefing calls just asking them are you working from home how's it been going and a lot of them have said we're probably not going to be able to go back to work till next year so we most definitely need some sort of office space as well for people with children there because the kids are at home they are asking for playrooms or somewhere where the kids can maybe do some more kind of maybe stimulated learning so someone that's separate from their bedroom as well so people are really zoning their homes because of covid and kind of having spaces for work and play that feel a little bit more separate yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were talking on the podcast a few weeks ago about zoning and, and how important it had become. So that definitely resonates. What kinds of advice have you been giving them about working from home? Because if somebody doesn't have a separate 
office or a dedicated office room, what is the best use of their space to give them a kind of a little work sanctuary? So for me, what I've been doing is I've been talking to people a lot about smart storage. So depending on, for example, I mean, the vast amount of our clients are usually London based. And sadly, with London, you don't get very much bang for your buck. (laughs) So your space is usually (laughs) a bit smaller. So we've been talking a lot about smart storage. So as you know, things like folding up tables, so maybe tables that are kind of almost hang from the walls and you can kind of fold them back up when you're not using them and you can put like a high stool or something away having dedicated corners or corner desks like for like what I'm working on right now is like a corner desk because my room is quite small so it kind of goes in and kind of turns around around the corner so it means I've got spaces for books I've got my dual screens but just working as best you can with the space that you have I think it's not always about kind of having a separate room but also working a way around the room to kind of create some sorts of separation. So for me, I've almost got like a square in my room where it's, it's got my desk, my chair, everything that I need for work. And then the rest of my room is my bed, my cosy bits and pieces. So it kind of feels like a division, although it's not completely a full division with walls and things like that. Well, you've got to make do with what you've got, right? Yeah, that makes exactly. perfect sense. And Paula, how is it for you? Because your house is your work in a way, isn't it? My house is my <laughs> office, yes. Well, it's really funny, actually, because I have worked from home for the last 10 years and I've had my children at school and my husband has always commuted to London. Um, but he's the one who had the office, the home office. Um, and he's a TV <laughs> editor. So he, um, when we had lockdown, first of all, he was still commuting. He was working on news programmes, so he was still commuting. And then eventually he started working from home in um, and he's got a home office in the basement, which is his editing suite. And I found myself, I've always worked from our dining room. We have a computer in the dining room. And I found myself with the children sort of barging in and everyone coming into the dining room or going here, there and everywhere. And suddenly this whole studio that was my house, that was mine from nine till <laughs> three normally, um, was, was a sort of free-for-all zone. So I've weirdly had to sort of carve out my own space again. After 10 years of having my own space, I've had to carve out my own space again. And I'm actually moving into the garden now. I'm I'm planning planning a garden office. So I've I've been sort of like thrown out of the home. So the home continues to be obviously where I create and I make pictures and um, where I design. But in terms of me having my own space, I'm having to find a, a place outside of the house now. So. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I can't wait to see pictures of your home office. I'm sure it's going to be yeah. go- gorgeous. <laughs> what are you planning? Are you planning a, a, a purpose-built space? Are you renovating something? Well, what I want to do, we've got a part of the garden that really has been... I've, I've always said that we. I am a novice at everything. So um, I think that in my Instagram posts, it all looks very lovely and pretty, but I've, I've literally learned to do everything as I've gone along. So the garden is very nice because it's very structured, but I'm not brilliant at growing things, but I'm I'm learning to grow things. So we're planning to do a sort of um, a kitchen garden in one part of the garden. And at the end of that is going to be my, um, my, sh- my she shed, my garden office um, eventually. <laughs> so that's going to be my little oasis of calm, hopefully. But I'm sure they'll take it over as well, because I think whatever I do, they, the family 
go, oh, that, that looks nice. <laughs> that looks <laughs> comfortable. <laughs> they want a piece of it. Yeah, they want a piece of everything. So interesting. So, Paula, one of the things that we know that COVID has done has really changed people's attitude to living in the city. If it, if it already hadn't changed, people that would maybe have not thought about moving for the next 10 or 20 years have, have, have kind of hurried up those plans. And obviously, we know that you swapped your home in London for Hill House in Norfolk, where you now live. I wanted to know, what advice would you give to someone who's wanting to do the same thing? I think the first thing is be careful what you wish for. Because it always looks lovely in pictures and images and um, in stories. It, it always looks lovely and easy, but you have to really know yourself properly. Do you really want to be isolated? How isolated do you want to be? Do you still have a full social life? When I moved, my children, I had twins who were five years old and my son was eight. I was happy to stay home. I was tired and exhausted. So the idea of going out for drinks and going to restaurants and going to the cinema and all those sorts of things on a daily basis, that was no longer part of my my life as a, as a regular thing. So I was ready to retreat and ready to go somewhere slightly quieter. I think um, I was 40. I just turned 40 when we moved. 10 years before that, I probably wouldn't have done it because I still wanted to have that social life. So really weigh up what's important to you. It's lovely, the idea of being in the countryside and it being quiet around you. But is that really how you want to live your life day to day? So that's probably the most important thing. Really think about whether that's really what you want. And that can determine whether you live in the countryside in a village or a town or whether you really go right into the sticks and live between fields. So that will determine what sort of countryside life you want, because there's a there's a huge amount of variation between what the countryside means. You can live in the middle of the town and be just as busy as you are in a in a city. So um, so I think that's probably one of the, the first things. Also, be very careful, especially in a, t- a city like London. You can get a lot for your money in the countryside, depending on whereabouts you go. Sometimes too big is too much. So. Think about what you really need, because if you go for something very big, just because you can afford it, there's a lot of running costs and a lot of upkeep costs. If you're working full time, if if you're commuting even, um, think about whether you can actually look after that house and garden um, as well as doing everything else you're doing. So it's, it's not always as straightforward as swapping something small and busy for something quiet and, and and big because that can bring its own problems and um it's something we really had to think about and uh yeah a lot of people fall into that mistake I think they think um you know my goodness let's just get the, the biggest most remote place we can <laughs> and yeah. then they and then often those people end up returning to the city to be honest because they miss <laughs> a lot of what they've given up yeah, that's really fascinating. Shade, what do you think about this? I mean, when you're talking to your clients, do you get a sense that people are wanting to retreat? I think so, but I feel like we have like a, I guess we've got like a certain groups of clients. So a lot of the clients that I get are either kind of youngish Londoners, maybe like mid to late 20s or early 30s who are what professional um they've just bought their first place together so they kind of they kind of still want to live that London life you know like going out for drinks with their friends commuting it's still quite good and then I usually have like another kind of batch of clients who are usually a little bit older maybe their kids have finished university um they've just bought a nice big house like I've got one that I had a briefing call the other day gigantic beautiful beautiful house right in the middle of nowhere (laughs) Um, absolutely nothing beside it but 
the kids have kind of gone and they're kind of like, this is, I guess, our station for the longer term. So they, they kind of want to kind of do a little bit of work, but their work is usually a bit more kind of slower, a bit more... Not to say they're a bit more love, but a kind of a longer term project. So you kind of get a mixture of the ones that are kind of like want to stay in London, that's fine. Or you want to kind of leave London, be in a kind of a bit of a bigger house, kind of retreat a little bit. The kids are a little bit older now. They're kind of doing their own thing. We want a bit of a, a bit of a, a slower pace to life. So young people see, seem to still be intent mainly in living in the city. Is that, yeah. is that what you think? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Okay, interesting. And Paula, was there anything you hadn't anticipated about moving to the country that really made your life difficult when you got there? I think um, probably one of the the most important things was planning what I wanted to do next once I got here, which I didn't do. I I had all these ideas and daydreams about opening up um, an online interior shop and I had these, you know, fantastic dreams, but I hadn't put anything into place, no planning. So when we moved... I spent the first year organising the children, getting them settled into their school, which was wonderful, um, making sure that my husband was fine with the commute and getting the house in order. And then you sort of sit there thinking, OK, what, what do I do next? So um, I would say probably one of the hardest things was sort of refinding my purpose because um, I had given up a quite a hectic job and um, I fully wanted to be more with my children and sort of um, really be present for their childhood. But I've always earned my own income. I've always um, done my own thing. And I, I had intended on, on, you know, keeping that going. So I think um, one of the biggest challenges was actually finding out what, what happens next with me, mm. which is how social media started for me, really. Yeah, maybe in a way it, it's, it becomes sort of like a bit of an early retirement for people without realising it if they haven't followed through with some of the plans for themselves. Mm. And then then they probably get fed up once they get there. <laughs> so, Paula, can we talk about cottage core? Because I don't think you can read anything at the minute on architecture and design without this term popping up everywhere. And it seems like during COVID, it's had even more of a moment because people are fantasising about decamping. You're you're sort of seen as one of Instagram's leading cottage core influencers. Even what what do you think about it? Well, do you know the funny thing about the term cottage core is I I hadn't even heard of it before until the last. <laughs> And last few months, and suddenly I'm the queen of cottagecore. I didn't, I had, hadn't got a clue what this was. I, I think there was um, a sort of movement a few years ago, and I think it was um, Hugh. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's it's um, spelled Hyg, but Hugh is it? Yes. And um, I think it's just more in in keeping with that. It's just that cozy, homely, um, home comforts feeling of making your home a beautiful place. Simple comforts and. Um, the simple delights of being in your house and garden. And I think cottage court is really just another term for that. I think Hugo sort of inspires more um, sort of colder weather ideas of comfort. So it's about fires and fireplaces and sort of like um, knitted quilts and things like that. Whereas I think cottage core definitely has more of a hand in the outside and your outdoor spaces. Mm. Um, so, but it's, you know, things like, picnicking, enjoying your garden, growing your own vegetables, growing your own flowers. Um, it's, it's that sort of thing, which, you know, I've been doing for years without calling it a name. I, as I say, I had no idea it was cottagecore, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. If that's the label it is, then fine, I'll, I'll go with that. Shade, what are your thoughts on cottagecore? Do you embrace it? Is it something you I aspire to? It. 
I, you do. I definitely, I am definitely a homebody. I, at the grand age of 20, almost 29, um, <laughs> I am very much like, I, I mean, I love London, but I'm also very tired of it. I, I would happily go and live in the countryside in a tiny cottage and grow my own vegetables with my five dogs and just live there <laughs> and work from there. I think it's really lovely. It's actually, um, like I've been watching loads of cottage called TikToks and Instagram, like Paula's page. And there's another really lovely lady called, I think it's Monologue as well, where, yeah, it's just kind of really relaxing. And it almost feels like we're kind of going back to an era of just really kind of lovely simplicity just growing your own vegetables just kind of taking joy in the what would be considered the mundane I think that's maybe it I think people are we're all at home for the most part and I think we're almost trying to find anything that brings joy or a little bit of normality and I think the whole kind of cottage core movement for me um personally like it just brings a lot of joy like for example yesterday I went into the garden I potted some parsley I went to check on my tomatoes and the apples and it just felt so lovely (laughs) it's the the art of slow living I think Um, yeah yeah and people have had to learn how to slow down and and start looking around them and there is as you say Shade there's so much joy that comes from growing something yourself from seed or or from a small plant and just remembering that there there is a lot of joy to be had in those small things and those small moments but you do have to slow down to start appreciating that. And I think that's what we've all been forced to do. Yeah. And they're very stabilising, aren't they, these things? I think I have a small London flat, a very typical London flat in the centre of town with a balcony that looks onto a sort of concrete workyard. (laughs) It's not that pleasant. But I too bought plants this time and I finally started (laughs) gardening, if you can call it that. Um, I have managed to kill half of them already, but I I still, the intention is there. So (laughs) let's see if I can improve. That's how we all start. (laughs) (laughs) so Paula something else that I when I was doing some reading up on you I saw that you've spoken about how you used to be a fan of neutrals in your home and then you've had a complete sea change in embracing this kind of vintage country style at Hill House what do you think inspired that shift I think that um I think that I've always loved colour um I mean, my my parents are from the Caribbean, so I've had a I've got a Caribbean heritage, and you know, colour is a very big part of that. And I think that what changed is that I stopped thinking about trends. Or I think when I was in London and I was in in my in my youth, and you're thinking about what's cool and what's um, you're looking, you're being very inspired by magazines and mm. I, I think in terms of I was in the fashion industry, so what was in fashion almost dictated how I lived my life in my home. And also because, as I say, I said before, my home was a bit, a bit more of a base. So it had to look cool and lovely, but it wasn't necessarily something, a place that I spent loads of time apart from, you know, resting my head in between work and, and going out. Um, as I grew older and as I, um, when we certainly when we moved to the countryside, I think I, I certainly stopped looking at trends. Trends are not a thing. I don't follow any trend and I don't, not really bothered about what other people are doing apart from how interesting it is and how lovely it is to see how different people live their lives but it doesn't necessarily influence how I live my life and I think that's when I started embracing um the color in my home but also in in the way I dress I just have fun Uh, I find color fun and comforting and um 
it, um, you know, it brings me a lot of joy to mix patterns and colours and um, fabrics. So um, I think that's what really happened. I just relaxed. I just relaxed with my surroundings and I relaxed with who I was and just started picking out the things that brought me joy. Yeah, that's so interesting. Shade, what about you? Because whenever I see you, you're always beautifully dressed and you've got this gorgeous Instagram. How would you describe your style? Um, I would say it is, I think, I guess the best word is just very feminine. I think, um, I think weird enough, because of architecture, there is like a period where, I mean, architecture is, for the most part, mostly male-led. So there was a period in which I kind of felt like, oh, you know, I don't want to look too feminine because I don't want to be seen as soft or, you know, like a bit of a pushover. And then I kind of got to a certain age where I was just like, you know what, I really love dresses. I really, I always, I'm very rarely in trousers. I love like a good midi dress, a long dress. I love flowy dresses. I love flowers. Um, I always have flowers in the house. I love prints and mirrors and beautiful things um so I think I would just say probably the entire thing is just very feminine (laughs) um and for someone that used to absolutely hate pink and anything floral when I was a teenager I was very much like Doc Martens black eyeliner lots of piercings like I I don't know what happened I did did a 360 and now I'm very much into like cottage core and gardening and flowers (laughs) and baking I love it. I love it. It's so great to evolve. I was going to ask you actually as well, you're both very successful on Instagram and have great, very engaged followings and, you know, really use it to showcase your your homes and your personal style. I was thinking about when it comes to kind of homes and design, what is Instagram really good for? Paula, do you want to answer that? I, I Inspiration. I think it's, um, as I say, I, I don't follow people in order to sort of copy ideas or to um, see trends, but I do follow people to be inspired by um, by lifestyles and and their sense of design and, and things. But yeah, it, it's just so inspiring. But also it's, you can really get to the core of meeting people who have a like-minded um, philosophy on life. Um, you can see a lot from somebody's style and what they want to show on Instagram and um, the softness or the beauty or the, you know, it's, I've made so many friends via Instagram. And as I say, when we moved here, I um, I kind of semi-isolated myself. And after the first year, you've got lots of friends coming up all the time because everyone wants to know what you've done and why you've done it and where you're living. And then that sort of starts to slow down because your friends know where you are now. They don't, they don't need to come up every weekend. And, um, and Instagram and blogging, actually, first of all, filled a a space for me. You know, I started to meet people online who shared a love of their home and gardens. I did learn how to do a lot of gardening. Um, and it was just a real beautiful sense of community, actually. So it's the community and inspiration. Yeah. Shadow, what do you think about that? What is it for you that really works on Instagram when it comes to design? Again, I think very similar to Paula, it is a really, really, really beautiful kind of space website kind of app for inspiration I think for example like I have so many saved lists so I've got gallery walls saved I've got um colorful desks saved I've got um I don't know like for example the other day actually for because my birthday is coming up I saved one of Paula's pictures of a cake that she made that was really beautiful I think it had (laughs) flowers on it I was like I really want to bake something like that but I think it's just it's really beautiful to kind of give you the bit of a bit of a push to kind of look beyond, I guess, what you see every day. So it's kind of, for example, with Instagram, I 
before Instagram, I would have never thought to kind of grow my own vegetables. Like, what is the joy in that? But then when you see other people kind of doing it and them talking through what they've done, their journey through it, you're kind of like, actually, this sounds really lovely. Why not give it a try? And I think during lockdown, I think Instagram has kind of brought out the best in people because people are really using it as a way to kind of push themselves forward, elevate themselves to a bit better, um, educate themselves, especially nowadays. There are obviously bits and pieces of the app that maybe not so good, I guess, things like comparison. But I think on the whole, it's just a really good space to kind of gain really good inspiration, even for work clients as well. I've got like um, a a saved kind of board for potential resi projects I think oh this if I'm scrolling and I think oh this client may like this I'm I'll save it and I will um download the image send it over to the client like hey I found this account it's kind of in line with what we were talking about it's like a really good kind of space really to just gain ideas amazing and Shade, just you talking there about your clients do you get clients that come to you and say hey I've seen this on Instagram (laughs) can you replicate it for me Yes, we do. We do. So, I mean, it's usually not that they want to have it replicated, but they kind of say, we really like this feature. So it might be like, we really like this gallery wall. I mean, we're not, I mean, doing complete interior design, but it might be that as I'm designing, I'm just kind of thinking, okay, um, I've designed it like this so that you'll have um, the chairs sitting this way or this way. And it means that this gallery wall will then fall in a certain way. So we kind of always thinking how things will look towards the end even right at the beginning so clients kind of coming to us with these images from Instagram or Pinterest really helps actually because I I guess it depends on the designer but I quite like thinking of the design as a whole and not just kind of as a planning step or as a break step but how would I feel if if I was a client myself how would I feel um, receiving these drawings and how would I feel kind of imagining myself in this finalized space so I think everything kind of needs to be thought through quite thoroughly, um, especially if the client is someone that's quite design-led. So you'll have clients where they're just kind of like, I don't really care, just kind of pop an extension on. And then you've got clients who like, are down to the brick internal, the details, <laughs> wow. so, like, down to the flooring, like so detailed right at the beginning, they kind of want to get all their ideas out. And I really love those types of clients as well, because you kind of have a bit more fun as you're designing it, because you can really start to visualise how it's going to be from I don't know Revit all the way to the end when it's actually on site. Interesting yeah I don't know if I'd ever be able to get to that detail but yeah it also sounds like you need to be really empathic as well to be a good designer when you're really having to think about how it's going to feel for them. Yeah it's actually it's a really strange job because you end up having the most in-depth and just really kind of lovely conversations with clients you kind of especially like we've had clients that come in so I remember we had a client that came in and I remember with them because they had like young children I always used to encourage them and be like do you know what if you can't make a phone call just come into the office and bring the kids in as well and they did and we would have the best conversations about their projects and their life in general it kind of it's always really interesting you start talking about the project but then other things come into play so they might start talking about how they lived as like in their childhood and how something from their childhood has really stuck with them and they're like I really kind of want to replicate that kind of view um or that kind of feeling I felt um when I lived in this house or this we had this type of kitchen and when my kids were younger they used to sit around like this and I kind of really want to have that again in this new place so I think those conversations are really important they really drive the design 
Yeah, memories then. Paula, do you have any kind of memories from childhood or uh, early inspirations of things that you've taken with you as you've got older and employed at Hill House, for example? Well, you know, my mother used to be obsessed with um, Country Life magazine. And I think that's oh, right, where yeah. my love of country houses and um, that, that, the whole idea of a house in the country came from. So we were living in, in South London. and But she would buy Country Life and we would look through these wonderful houses with these beautiful gardens. And I think that it, certainly that's where sort of it started in my mind and where I always thought, yes, the countryside, how lovely to have a house in the countryside. So that certainly stayed with me. Um, apart from that, my mother was um, a psychiatric nurse. So she was um, she was often busy at work, but she her um, her whole idea of home and the home baking and my father grew vegetables, even though he was busy at work as well. They they very much um, they they were into cottage core before <laughs> cottage core <laughs> the term existed. So I've always had that in my mind of sort of that duality of having your life and your career, but um, making sure that you had that lovely home and you had the sort of the garden full of vegetables and you home Ooh. cooking. So I, I've always had that sensibility surrounding my life and um, certainly from my childhood as well. Yeah, really interesting. Shade, what about you? Do you have any prevailing memories of, or images of things that have stayed with you that you have or you, that you want to recreate at some point? Um, so weirdly enough, I guess the image that I kind of keep seeing lately, and I guess it's because I want to travel a lot, is that my family are Nigerian. So I'm first gen Nigerian. So first one that was born here, but because we've had so many holidays and we've gone back and forth and we've got so many memories of being in my grandma's house in Nigeria when we were younger and we had like a really, I don't know what to call it. It was, we had like a swimming pool in the middle and there was kind of four kind of bungalows um, within the compound. And there was like this little space where you could have chairs and um, in the evenings where the sun was setting and I can just, I can literally picture it now, you had the palm trees kind of outlined and birds flying. Um, we'd all kind of, as a family in general, everyone would sit outside. The men would have their beers, like the kids would have their like bottles of Coke or something, all their sweets and stuff. And I just remembered having this outdoor space just felt so beautiful. And even a couple of years ago, when we went back for my cousin's wedding, we did the same thing. We ended up having a family photo shoot there um, because it just it's just always been a space that whenever people come around to visit my grandma, who's still there, you we just naturally end up sitting in this outdoor patio area with a swimming pool and everyone gets drinks or we get food and we just sit around um, and I think in the future, if I, if I'm not sure in London because um, sadly lack of space, but in the future, if I ever own um, a larger house, I'd really love to replicate that kind of warm outdoor space that is covered with beautiful like hibiscus flowers or just plants and flowers in general and just kind of really force everyone outside in summer in the summer months to kind of replicate that it just has always stayed with me yeah it sounds beautiful you describe it so well I, I feel like I can feel it as you're describing it it sounds, very, <laughs> it sounds very inviting so just to finish off I just wanted to ask the pair of you about you know being style influencers as you both are do you have any tips for people that want to become a style influencer I, I would say just live your best authentic life because I, I think it really shows when someone's enjoying what they do and when they're really at peace and happy with, with how they're living, what they're living with um, and the circumstance they're living. So just th that joy radiates and that's what draws people to you, I think. Um, and so really just, yeah, make it real. Make it real. Don't try and emulate anyone else. Just be yourself and really enjoy 
you know, the life that you have. And I think that will show and that's what will draw people to you. Mm, that's good advice. Shade, what do you think about that? Yeah, I would also say, why? what are your reasons for doing it? So I think a lot of the time now, because I guess with influencers, people kind of view influencers as these are people who are making absolute like five million a year. They are bringing in money and then like flying out everywhere and I think they forget that that is just a very small percentage the vast majority of influencers are doing stuff in the background whatever you see kind of on the Instagram is just a very small part of what is actually going on behind the scenes like for example I work full-time <laughs> I'm still like working at Resi like doing my normal job and then after I sign off I will probably do emails for a very long time and it's not glamorous but I think for me, what you what you should be wanting to do is sharing something. So for me, I my I guess my whole blog over the past ten years and my Instagram presence has been just about myself as a when I started, I think I was early twenties, so old like teenagers, like a teen, but like it was meant to be kind of me as a young black woman documenting the beginning of my architecture journey. And I guess it's kind of still is, but it's kind of got a bit of everything. So I try to be maybe a little bit too honest (laughs) with um, my presence online to just kind of make sure people understand that I am not this person to put on a pedestal. I'm just an, an, an everyday person. I am using my Oyster card to get to work. I am doing everything that's completely normal and boring. I just choose to share it on the internet with I don't know almost 40,000 people that's it but well, I'm not flying out to all these wonderful places um I'm just a normal person I think just reminding people that just be yourself just be a normal person you don't have to pretend to be anything else or you don't have to emulate anyone else just share what it is that you think if you have a story just be comfortable in that story and share that story and I think as you said Paula people will find joy in that and they it might be that it's relatable to them it might be that it's aspirational for them whichever one just be yourself that's wonderful advice and I think what you both do really well is that you're so authentic and I think that's what people really warm to so I just wanted to ask you one final question which is how can people follow you or read about what you're doing or see what you're doing Paula well um I have my blog which is hillhousevintage.com and also on Instagram, I'm known as at Hill House Vintage. So, um, yeah, you can see what I'm doing, all my sort of trials and tribulations of gardening exploits and cake exploits and decorating exploits and all my failures and successes and um, and just general bit of happiness, really. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. And Sade, what about you? So, I mean, I work for Resi. <laughs> <laughs> so um you do, I may be your designer already. Um but otherwise I blog over at ifmysundaybest.com, which is a bit of amusing of a woman that lives in London. I talk about life, health, everything really. Um and I also uh, run Instagram over at In My Sunday Best, where I kind of just post a lot of coffee, um, a lot of <laughs> sweet treats, a lot of clothes, um, and sometimes architecture, which I'll be doing a lot more of as I go to do my part three. Ah, next very week. exciting, exciting news. Well, ladies, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been fascinating and I'm sure lots of people are going to listen in. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Paula and Sade. 
do give Happy Homes a review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to find out just how happy your home is, take the Resi Happy Homes test over at resi.co.uk forward slash happy underscore homes. Take care and bye for now. Listener.